I swore an oath as an Olympic knight to honor the compact, to bring justice to the society of man. You swore the same, Octavia, but you forgot what that meant. Everyone has. Hello everyone, welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. What's up, dude? Not a lot. I love doing this, like the the, the Wayne's World. The, the Wayne's World point, which no one can see if you're listening, but if you're watching on a video, you can see me doing five, four, three. There it is. <laughs> everyone that was listening to that had no clue what just happened. Does anybody hear that us know what the- Wayne's World is? Uh, probably not. Okay. Yeah, but if you watch the video, you could have seen the the hand gesture that I did. It's a wonderful thing. So go to YouTube and watch the video of us doing this. Yeah. Rather do than it. just the audio version, <laughs> get both the best of both worlds. Um, so how's it going? It's going pretty well. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you tell everyone what you did today? Oh my gosh! Yeah. So back in uh, Deep Grave, yeah. I wanted an Ethernet drop so I don't have to be on Wi-Fi back here. So. Uh, I actually had a friend from work come over and we crawled through the attic for four hours and uh, cut sheetrock, installed those boxes that I don't know what the name of them are because sure. I'm not very handy. Neither do I. And uh, yeah, it was great. I got insulation all over myself and I was coughing and <laughs> hacking up there. And You didn't wear a mask when you're up there? No. What a dumb idea. Yeah. That's, I know that now. Yeah. You're like breathing. Thanks. Where were you before? That insulation stuff is nasty, dude. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. Yeah. And it's super dusty up there too. Yeah, so. I bet. Yeah. Um, cool. Well. But we were successful. Yeah. So shout out to your coworker who Yay. came over and helped out. Hey, thanks Hector. If you're listening. Hey, oh, Hector. <laughs> shout out. Um, it's time for America's favorite segment. Ooh. Nerd talk up top. Access granted. So this is where we talk about something nerdy. So it can be anything, Jeremy. It can be something that you have been nerding out over, mm-hmm. or it can be something that's like actually inherently nerdy this past week. So what have you been nerding out on or going into that's nerdy this week? I think, I'm, I mean, I'm all caught up on the book of Boba Fett. That's kind of a nerdy It's topic. nerdy-ish. Yeah, yeah. It's mainstream though, too, because it's got like a, you know, it's on Disney Plus and stuff like that. That's fair. Um, I have a lot of feelings on this this series <laughs> and i this is not the place or time to talk about yeah them. but uh i've been watching too i think it's a little bit of a step down from mandalorian I'm oh yeah say that yeah and for those listening i actually finally finished mandalorian season two all right and it was awesome it's really good and i know that was like a running gag that we had you know for a, like a number of episodes but it was really good uh really good great <laughs> and good and then uh yeah book of boba fett i thought it was like really into the first two episodes. And I was like a little let down after the third and fourth episode. I thought it was like, it kind of like really stepped down a notch. I think one thing they're doing really well is capturing a lot of lore, a lot of world building, a lot of story that you don't get to see. But the actual like main storyline, not the kind of the ancillary objects, but um, the main line is, is not, I don't think it's gritty enough for a kind of a syndicate 
show from Tatooine. Yeah. I, I feel like it needs to be a lot grittier and, and it just feels very polished to me. Yeah. You know, Danny Trejo was in one episode though. So shout out, you know, Danny Trejo. No. Was, oh my gosh. Come on. I don't know anybody. You know okay, this. Okay. Never mind. We're moving on. All so, right. um, yeah, that's nerd talk up top segment All over. Right. <laughs> All right. Successful. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, uh, let's recap the dream of EO, the series that we've been in right now. Mm-hmm. We've done three episodes. Today is the fourth episode. Um, I just do a quick recap. So if you are jumping in now, like go back and listen to the prior three, otherwise you'll be lost. But we've been spending time uh, looking at the epilogue of Morningstar. And there's a list of characters and qualities that join with those characters that what we believe unlock the dream of EO, make it even possible to even take shape, take form. Her dream that she said all the way back in the garden of chapter four of Red Rising, I live for the dream, you know, that my children be born free. They can be what they like. They can own the land their father gave them. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing this by the end of Morningstar, you're seeing this just start kind of becoming into shape. But how does it get there and and why and who? And so we're talking about these characters and these conjoined qualities that that bring that forward. So we spent time talking about rage, which was linked to Ares. We spent time talking about strength, which was linked to Ragnar. And now today, honor, that's the focus of today's episode, linked with Cassius. And I'm so pumped to yeah. be talking about this one. I realized actually on the way over, you and I haven't spent a lot of time talking about Cassius as a character um, through like the episodes we have. We made a little over 30 episodes and we haven't really spent too much time. We had a Cassius focused mm-hmm. episode in season one, but that's like the last time we really talked about the character at all. Yeah. I think outside of, you know, Ben from Hallerpod coming on and talking to us about Cassius, because uh, I think it's his top favorite character. Yeah, for sure. Um, which was a great episode. Really fun to go through that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I think you're right. We just sort of ghosted on Cassius yeah, for a while. It's, and it's it's weird because you and I both actually like Cassius. We're love, not in the Cassius haters club. Yeah, love Cassius. Um, yeah, we're on team Cassius. And yet, I, I think it, Cassius for me is a little bit outside the top five. So I don't think I focus as much. My six. Yeah, see? Mm-hmm. So we're probably similar in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we've just been so preoccupied with other topics. Um, but we're really excited, obviously. I mean, that's yeah. what we talked about in kind of our, our pre-show talks and just chatting it up with you on the phone when I'm driving or anything like that. And mm-hmm. it's like, I know also, aside from Cassius, you've been just really looking forward to the idea of honor and the just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into that now, but yeah, it's just, it was a really, I remember looking and creating the outlines for this uh, this series and thinking the two that I'm most excited for were rage and honor. And that was just like face value. I, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't even really started making the outlines But the reason why I was so excited is because I had no idea how those conversations were going to (laughs) go. And to be truthful, I don't know how this one is going to go fully this way today. Um, So I'm just excited to kind of jump in and talk about it. And I I know we probably say the word excited a lot when we approach our episodes. You know, we probably overuse that. Probably so. But this is like outside podcast voice. This is just like (laughs) me actually saying this. Like, I am genuinely excited because I don't know what this conversation fully holds. And I think that the idea, the concept of honor inside the world of Red Rising is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's so we're going to try to break it down, talk about it, see what it really means. And then also, how does it apply specifically to the dream of EO? Because that is what Pierce Brown voiced. Like, honor is essential to this dream. So why and how? Uh, So I'm excited to get to that with you because I think we could go 20 different directions and I don't know exactly which one we're going to go with yet. So uh, let's take a break. Let's do it. Let's come back and let's talk about honor. All right. If 
you're seeking legal counsel or in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Turingian Law might just be the answer. They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. Now, the great thing about Turingian Law is that there's no doublespeak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Call 559-627-5399 or visit TuringianLaw.com. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarikian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. Jeremy, we're back from break and we're going to be talking about honor and what it means to the world, like kind of the global view of what it means to the world of Red Rising. The one thing that I know for certain that as I've gone through the books numerous times, looking like at honor with this prism, with this lens, is that it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Honor is in fact characterized entirely by the speaker. So if a character is talking about honor, you have to kind of go, oh, where are they from? If a character is from the rim, honor, their version of honor looks different than a character from the core, which then looks different from a character from the side of the rising, which even inside those three big factions has micro factions inside of it too. So it's a, it's a harder, more convoluted topic, I think, than the ones we've addressed uh, previously. And I think even the ones that oh, yeah. we're going to address going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why I'm ex- again, I'm excited to talk about it because it's like there's all these splinter different ways it can go. But I want to throw it to you and ask you, like when you think of honor and you're kind of just looking at like kind of a the view of it, what do you f- see first inside these books? Yeah, anytime I'm looking at like storytelling honor, I'm always thinking of kind of more so in the fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. And whether it's damsels in distress, castles, knights, dragons to slay, uh, you know, that kind of, that basic stuff, that's automatically kind of where your mind goes, uh, for yeah. me at least, a little bit. Um, and then I think what's being used, like, a lot more now, and a great example of that is, of course, Game of Thrones, is, and I don't believe this is the proper definition of honor, okay. but I think this is an example that a lot of authors like to use, is how uh, the Lannister family is used in Game of Thrones, specifically Jamie Lannister. And I think that actually parallels with how the core uh, looks at honor yeah. because, you know, they, the Lannisters say uh, a Lannister always pays his debts. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is of course that they're a big, powerful, wealthy family that will never default on, on any of their words and they're good for their word. So, you know, that kind of status, that kind of power, and just the fact that they're good on their word kind of gains them that reputation of honor in that world, at least to them. And I think mm-hmm. the core is very similar. Yeah, I would echo that. I, you know, there's like, there's numerous quotes, but I have one here like ready to go from, let me pull it up real fast. It's from chapter six of Golden Sun. And I'm going to, it's like a quote from Victra and I'm not trying to slam Victra. This is one of my, probably one of my top three favorite <laughs> characters, a huge Victor fan, but I want to qualify it by saying this is how the core people look at honor often. So she has this quote that says, I am from the Jens Julii. My family trades in commerce enough to buy continents. Who could afford to purchase my honor? She's linking honor with her family name and she's linking it with her economic power right. exclusively. It is, and it's like, 
you kind of really can't help who you're born into. Like that's just like, it's just kind of luck and, and, and it's luck of the draw, I guess, in some ways, you know, cause she could have easily been born into a poor family too, or maybe not a gold. You never know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but then also like her economic power is also equated to her honor. So the core mentality of honor, like is what we get the most of, right? Cause like we visit and we're with core characters pretty much the duration of the story. It's not until you get into the second trilogy where you see the more the other side of the coin, um, like like I would say the rim mentality. So whereas the rim, like their honor is something like their deeds. It's like, it's like how they act. It's their actions exclusively. And we have, um, you know, we have a character that you and I both also literally like in Romulus, right? Romulus Al-Ra. And he has this quote, that you and I thought was this, this is the slam dunk. This is it. We're going to town on this quote. It's going to be what we're going to, but we're going to build the whole episode around this quote. And we were pumped on this. And he has this quote in chapter 42 says, what is pride without honor? What is honor without truth? Honor is not what you say. It is not what you read. Honor is what you do. And I was like, dang, that's so good. And for a while, it, it felt like that's where we're headed. But then realizing there's two problems with that. One, that's not the honor of Cassius because it has nothing to do with Cassius. It has everything to do with Romulus. He's the speaker. This is his definition of honor. This is how he defines it for this world or in this book series. And then secondly, I don't know how to like say this, but it just didn't feel right. right. It just didn't sit right. I remember like being on the phone with you a while ago kind of looking at the older outline that we had for this episode, just going, I don't think this is it. And I don't know how to say it or why, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel accurate to the dream of EO, like this definition, this Romulus definition of honor. Um, but it, it's convincing for multiple reasons. But the big one is a character that feels very honorable and is very authoritative and the way and the manner that he's saying it just feels like really impactful and powerful. And you want to buy all the way into it. Like, you know, honor is not what you say or read. It's what you do. And it's like, oh, like, wow. <laughs> and then something just fell off. Yeah. You know, when I was looking at it, I felt that way too. And obviously you and I both came to the same conclusion because originally it felt dead on. And for me, it matches up with EO more because the two things we're really trying to do is, is first and foremost, it has to fit with EO's dream, right? Hmm. This kind of basic concept of what EO is espousing. But second, it really has to tie in with that character that we're talking about, their characteristic. And while EO is all about deeds, right? She puts her actions yeah, where her mouth is. she's a woman is. of action for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it fits that. But then if Romulus is really the character that most exemplifies honor as it relates to EO, then Darrow should have taken Pax on his knee and said the honor of Romulus. Yeah, not Cassius, yeah. And he didn't, you know, he chose Cassius. So we have to ask ourselves why. Um, the The problem with it is that I think where we talked about core, right? And you can't, they're so wealthy and so powerful. They believe themselves incorruptible because they can't be bought. Mm -hmm. Romulus believes himself incorruptible because he's a man of his word. But th the issue with that is like, well, what are you saying, right? Mm -hmm. when, when you're good on your word, what are you saying? And what Romulus says is, I withhold slaves from my children. And then I allow them to enslave other human beings as soon as they reach a certain like age. 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, just because he says that and because he can, uh, he can kind of hold off and restrain himself 
right? And his children can restrain themselves from holding other humans as slaves for themselves. It's like, he's better. And he kind of has this, um, just this like conviction about what he's doing that as long as he believes that it's right, then he's honorable. Yeah, I mean, so Darrow has a quote. I mean, I know I'm just kind of kicking quotes at you, but like Darrow has this quote here that actually echoes that sentiment. And so he says, you sit here and think you're more civilized than Luna because you obey a creed of honor, because you show restraint, but you're not more civilized, you're just more disciplined. Mm. So it just, it's basically, it's what you said in a lot of ways. This is amazing. I, uh, I finally agree with Darrow. Uh, or, or does Darrow agree with me? Um, no, let's I, think about this. I like Darrow. Darrow's a great character, yeah, but Darrow is very faulty, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of issues with Darrow and what he chooses, so we don't always see eye to eye. I'll yeah, say. I'll say Darrow agreed with you. Oh, yeah. Just like you're, you're older than Darrow. That's true. At this timeline. So it, it makes sense that, <laughs> that Darrow would agree with you. I like this. Um, yeah. So essentially like to be, again, to be blunt, that's kind of what we had in our original outline. Our original outline took shape this way around this Romulus quote. And so it didn't sit right. So then we had to kind of go back to the drawing board. Mm-hmm. And like any, you know, 15 year old high school student uh, when you go back to the drawing board on your high school essay, uh, you go straight to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. And <laughs> that's exactly where you and I went though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting because there are a ton of definitions of the word honor. And have you ever had that moment where like you're, you're staring at a screen or at a piece of paper and suddenly everything blurs out? And then like the angels start singing and like <laughs> one single line sort of becomes highlighted it in gold. It feels like a cartoon, but yeah. It's a little cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, that happened to me. Um, I'm using hyperbole, but that did happen to mm-hmm. me. And the one that stood out that, that really made sense to me is adherence to what is right or to a conventional standard of conduct. And then below that, I was using Google and they give you these words, you know, like these little phrases, mm-hmm. associations uh, or synonyms. And a couple that, that again, stood out to me were righteousness, virtue, and justice. And what I noticed about those is I don't normally say that's exactly what honor is, right? But when you put that in the context of the definition of honor that I read, they make complete sense. And we've talked about it before. So it's really like this is starting to undergird and really mix and and mesh what we've been talking about. So mm-hmm. I think I really approached this originally, like there are six characteristics and they just really stand apart from each other. Mm. But I, I'm starting to get the feeling that that these are a lot closer knit and, and tied together than, than I previously did. Yeah, um, I think so too. I think that over the course of time, you know, we've seen that take shape is that, you know, rage is more of this righteous indignation. Like that's what I think the re- like the more reference point is rather than just like a pure all out rage and then strength being something that's more of an internal thing rather than an external thing. Yeah. And then now here it's like honor is not, I mean, at least to the dream of EO, right? As it applies to this moment, it's not something that is just like words, deeds, lineage, bloodline, all these things that you would think it is because you hear about them endlessly. Like, I think I looked at honor, like it's like, I can't remember honestly right now. I think it was, it was like something close to 80 times just mentioned in Morningstar alone, Mm. you know, it's like, and that's not, that's one book and that, so it's said a lot, it's voiced a ton in this, in this series. And there's a, there's so many conversations that you could have, uh, again, it's applying to each character about honor. Yeah. And then you really have to, again, we have to match it up with Cassius. 
right? Because mm-hmm. it definitely matches EO, but how does it match Cassius? Because I think part of my, the reason, I guess, I put him outside of the top five is that he doesn't do a lot of the right things. He's really, I saw him as a flip-flopper, I think, on, on my first read. Mm-hmm. He was sort of hot and cold on whether or not he was want to be with Darrow or, or completely opposed to him. You know, he doesn't finally come around until the end of the third book. And I think now I'm I'm recognizing that this is a great definition for him because when he's trying to adhere to what is right and he's trying to see what that is, there's really this inner turmoil. Mm-hmm. Like you said with Victra, I mean, these golds are, are raised um, just being drilled into them. Yeah. That honor is com- something completely different. And Cassius is a bit obsessed with that concept of honor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, we don't know, but I, I'd be curious as to how many of those 80 times were, were from Cassius. Yeah. I um, mean, a, probably a good amount, right? Yeah. And so I think you just get to watch him wrestle throughout three books, certainly, mm-hmm. um, with kind of fighting the way he was brought up and then what he truly knows to be right and finally finds. That's the, that's like the best part about this character in my, in my mind is just seeing that kind of that progression, but also seeing that conflict. And so kind of going back to the beginning of Morningstar, there's these moments that just pop out of you. Like you can like feel like the honor energy, like kind of wanting to pop out of like Cassius's chest. Like there's a moment when Daryl comes up out of the, uh, out of the box that, that, that Adrius has him in. You know, he spent the nine months in there. He's got the tubes coming in and out of him. He's got crazy bushy beard. He's just, he's like, looks like hell. Mm-hmm. And Aja and Cassius are there and they're like, is this really Darrow? Like this, the, 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 you know, the, the person they feared for, you know, several years. And the Aja's like, Bologna, you know him best. Like you go take a quick look. And so, Cassius does, he recognizes it's Darrow, but then one of the other actions he takes is he takes off his Olympic night cloak and drapes it over Darrow as a way to just be, I get, I, and it's, I have no other way to put it. It's just honorable. It's an honorable thing to do. Like give him his modesty, give him his decency, give him, treat him like a person, even though Cassius believes this dude killed his whole freaking family. And he shows him an act of kindness because it was the right thing to do. He'd just been punished for a year and the nine months specifically in that box. There's another moment when you flash forward a few chapters later where Cassius and Darrow are on that Trig has just passed away at the hand of Aja and you have Holiday and Victra both completely knocked out. Darrow is at the very edge of the landing pad on Attica and there's no escape and they're having an exchange, Cassius and Darrow having an exchange one of the things that uh, Darrow notes internally for us, the readers, is that he says that his his words are telling me to come back. Like, you know, get, you know you've been caught, like, give it up. No, like, just turn yourself in, man. Like, you're surrounded, you're two limpid knights right here. We have tons of, you know, gray guards. But Darrow says his eyes are telling me to jump because Cassius doesn't want that death for Darrow. And, and like, or even, I don't know if it's even death, but going to be dissected that's what Saz's fate is because he's got to go get you know they're going to discern how Cassius or rather Darrow was made into a gold so they're Zanzibar the carver is just going to rip the dude open and it's going to be excruciating but Cassius here in this moment is just saying hey dude like just go like just be free like get just rid yourself of this 
ugly, awful fate. Again, another honorable thing to do. You see that conflict in the character over the course of the story. And it's so interesting to observe and see and just these little nuggets that Pierce Brown kind of pushes into the to uh, the interjection of Daryl's internal dialogue or internal monologue that you get to hear. So cool. Yeah, I I agree. I think those are two beautiful moments. And I think they really do show Cassius kind of coming into his own mm-hmm. um, where, like you said, he gives dignity uh, mm-hmm. back to Darrow. And when you say that he's seeking after doing what's right or what is just in the world, it's like there's a there's what could be considered an, an honorable or correct death. Even for someone who's a war criminal, even for someone who has murdered your family, and that's not it to Cassius. Mm-hmm. And and I I like that. I, I can't help but like yeah, smile inside. Kind of root for that, it a little bit, right? Yeah. And then that's, I think, why I've come around so much on Cassius and he's grown on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I want to I wanna jump way ahead because we've been talking about the beginning of Morningstar here. Yeah. I want to go way into the future. I want to go to the end of the book and talk about what we think the definition of honor is in this world. Talk about what we think the definition of honor is to the dream of EO. And also talk about Cassius's honor and how it all like works together. Cause this is all three things just merge together in this moment in this really, really powerful way. This is one of, this has become uh, through like observation and through, uh, you know, just thinking on it, stewing on it. My, one of my favorite moments of this entire first trilogy. So the first speaker and this is going to be Octavia. Octavia asked Cassius, mm-hmm. why? Why did you trade on all of us? Why did you do this to me? You know, you were my, you were my morning night. And this is, I'm going to read Cassius' response to uh, the downfall of Octavia. Why? Because you lied. You ask me Why? It is because you are without honor. I swore an oath as an Olympic knight to honor the compact, to bring justice to the society of man. You swore the same, Octavia, but you forgot what that meant. Everyone has. That is why this world is broken. Maybe the next one can be better. This character in this moment is forsaking everything. Every shred of agency, every shred of wealth, every shred of family pride, everything that he has in order to move into what is right, like giving everything that he has away in this moment. The best part about this is that he says, I swore an oath as Olympic Knight to honor the compact and to bring justice to the society of man or humankind. Yeah. Not the society of gold, not the society of higher colors or the society of rich and powerful, peerless scarred, put in your blank, you know, blood, higher bloodline, gens, whatever. No, all people, all men, all women, all, all genders, all everything. And that's what this is. And I just, I, it, it like makes me like do a freaking fist pump. It's so <laughs> sick. It's so sick. Cause it's like something that I think that I want to see in my world. I want to see someone do this in our world, but and it's, it takes so much bravery and so much, it, it just, it's almost like takes an insane person. You think, mm-hmm. cause you, you're giving up everything you have. 
the character, if you read Iron Gold at all, I'm not going to try to spoil anything for you, but the character has to go into literal hiding for the rest of their life because of this. Mm-hmm. But they do it because it's what's right. And that's like, like, how baller is that? Like Cassius is the ultimate baller for that. Yeah. I think when you think of other characters, like that are certainly honorable, like Victra, you know, um, there is an element of, of sacrifice for a stance, but a lot of that comes back to Victra. You know, Cassius is, I believe, the one character that, like to your point, actually has to give everything up Mm -hmm. in order to chase what's right. And he does that. And that's what's wonderful. Um, This little paragraph you you read is is awesome. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of, I think it was the gala episode where we actually talked about the statue um, of Lady Justice. No, it was actually the episode after episode 10, which was uh, Triumph, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And- it's, you know, Lady Justice statue is, is in the, in the uh, area where the party is and it's kind of overgrown, right? And, mm-hmm. and the symbolism that, that gave us uh, is very similar to what's going on here where Cassius realizes that there is this inherent thing built in that um, the society, the golds, the peerless, right? They, they want to believe they have it, just like how they display the statue of, yeah. of justice, right? Yeah. They, they think they have this, this compact, this oath of, of, uh, of dignity and of justice, but they don't, you know? And Cassius, I love how he realizes that, how he captures this little element and says, like, nobody sees this. You know, you mm-hmm. want to believe you have it, but you don't, uh, Octavia. You're, you're, you're nothing like this. And yet it finally clicked to me. I finally get it. And then that's the point really where he just puts everything down. And like you said, he has to go in hiding forever. Yeah. There's this, okay. So do you ever like, ha- do you ever work a job where you have, I've worked at like, I've worked at Starbucks. I've worked at Apple. I've worked at like corporations that are big. And a lot of times they have like little internal mottos that you say as employees, you have this <laughs> thing. Like, I think like, I'm, I think it's not a secret. I think Starbucks is like, we're the third place or we want to be the third place, which is meaning like you have office, you have home, and, and then Starbucks. we want to be like Starbucks. Like it's the place you go. It's like your alternate home office, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and it's like something that was like always talked about. Uh, and this is like, this is back when I was like, worked there like 15 years ago. So I can't really remember everything about what that exact motto was. But I've, I've had other jobs where I have that kind of internal like motto. They they tout it and they they, they kind of remind you at the at the corporate gatherings or the whatever. And yet I would say, I'm not trying to badmouth Starbucks. It feels like really weird to do this on a, on a microphone, on a podcast, but um, like, it just felt false. Like, really? It's like, it's just a third place. Like, this is where you want to spend all your free time, like at a Starbucks. Like, I think I can think of countless different places I'd like to be than a Starbucks, but you know, it's kind of just a corporate mantra that you're repeating or that's being said to you. And that's the way I feel about like what the compact is for a lot of these people. It's like something they know, something they, 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 they read it, they see it, they hear it, but there's no practical application to what it is or what it means. Mm-hmm. It's just something that exists in their world and they all have it probably memorized and they all probably have it like on lock, but it's not about like, but it's not the practice of it. Does it, it just falls flat when you actually, like what Cassius says to honor the society of man. Again, I, I don't like using that. I want to say honors the society of human, mm-hmm. humankind, because I feel like that's just a more broad term that has inclusive, inclusive term, but it's the same sentiment. And I just am left, like, 
I don't, I'm, again, I just left like so gratified by the statement of that and, and left also even more sour than I was prior to the core because they have, they just bind to this corporate kind of blah, you know, this kind of garbage. They just regurgitate it, but it means nothing. It's the Hussissia statue. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately that posturing happens a lot, right? Because you can think of yourself as noble, like like the core families do. You can think of yourself as superior to other people because you hold these things. But, you know, like in today's world, you kind of want to espouse these things and pretend like you're on the right side just so you don't get trashed on Twitter. <laughs> but really, really, when it really comes down to it, you don't put anything into action. You don't really believe it. Yeah. You know? It's one thing. I mean, I guess that's the part of Romulus's quote that is because the, the, there is goodness to that quote. Mm -hmm. It's not all bad. Well, that's it's, why we were originally so tied to it. Yeah, it was just because like it is, honor is not what you say, it is what you do. Like there is a connection, but it has to be held to like what Cassius says, it has to also be tied to a standard. It has to be like held up by something. Mm -hmm. It can't just be conviction. If it's just purely conviction, then like, you know, if saying I'm going to flip this table right now and then actually doing it and following through, that's not really like, because I had conviction in what I said and just therefore I did it. Yeah. I'm not honorable because I did, just because I did something that I said I was going to do. Right. That's not honor. It's like, it's also has to be held to a certain standard, certain, certain like set of, I don't know. I'm just, what a set of what? A set of goodness, a set of righteousness, like mm -hmm. kind of like going back to like the, the rage episode there. Yeah. I can. I like, I like the way those, those terms kind of undergird everything. So I would mm -hmm. say righteousness in that time, in that time. There's, there's another thing too that I, I've thought about a lot with Cassius and I feel like of all the characters we're going to be talking about, we have two more primary episodes of the Dream of EO after this one. It's going to be the love of several and the loyalty of Victra. We've already done the Rage of Ares and the Strength of Ragnar. The, I believe after, and I even believe going forward, like I believe that this quality and this character actually echo Eo's dream mm. better than the other characters and the other qualities. Because what Cassius is saying in that statement to Octavia, he's like, this is for everyone. This is for all humankind. Like that's what the compact is supposed to be about. Not just a certain sect of people, not just the powerful or the rich or whatever. It's for everyone. And Eo's dream, if you like, like think about it, she says, I live for the dream that my, where like my children can be born free and be what they like. That's, agency, that's autonomy, that's an ability to choose what you want to do and to be. And so therefore the higher ups are giving you that same power and that same authority back. So Cassius is actually answering that dream very directly because this is what Eo lives for. She died for that dream. She died to like live for a world where her kids could have that power. And Cassius is saying, here it is. We're going to go and we're going to go back to the drawing board and this old world is dead and bad and hopefully the next one can be better and we're going to make it about honoring that original compact so you eo even though they never met or people like you eo can also can live in that world because you need to have that because this is what we're supposed to be about so i think cassius is the ultimate echo of eo's dream the ultimate call and response and unlike even darrow seriously unlike even mustang seriously he is like the character that actually answers that that dream back so directly and so vividly and so beautifully. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. I mean, Mustang, she's my favorite character. Mm -hmm. I certainly probably overarching would think of her as an honorable character, but if I'm going to be critical of her, it's that, you know, she's a politician and her husband Darrow is a warmonger. Yeah. 
And they are doing things, yes, to stabilize society, mm -hmm. right? But there is an element of manipulation in that. There is an element of uh, persuasion through power and coercion, right, in order to build a society they want. But again, you're right. That's not the way that Cassius is doing it, yeah. right? He's doing it by laying his life down just like Eo did. That's, that's why I think it's, you're right. Yeah. It's a great parallel. To your point about Cass, excuse me, about Darrow and, and Mustang, they sat at a table with Romulus and his generals and were like, they just straight up lied to him about like uh, <laughs> who took bombs and who has them and uh, and basically swayed him over to their side to fight against the core. And then they again, they blew up his docks and they again lied to him about who blew up the docks. So, I mean, honor is just flying out the window in, uh, when you're talking about both Mustang and, and Darrow in that term, in, in these terms. I don't yeah. think that the two are without honor completely. I agree. But I think that it's much to a, it's a much lesser degree than we're talking about the standard Cassius sets is all the way up here. Like, you know, I'm holding my head, like my hand above my head, like high bar status right? in this moment in chapter 62, that quote that he delivers to Octavia. Yeah, they'll, they'll sooner, you know, justify the means for the end that they want. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, in my mind, like Cassius is also another thing. He's, he's, he's a lot of things in this. Again, he's, we, we talked about it. I'm not going to re, I'm not reinterpreting that. But <laughs> the other thing that I want to talk about with Cassius briefly is that he is the redemption arc that we were just oh, craving. No. Man, I wanted this so bad <laughs> for so long. And um, Tactus was that first one, that, that first one that had that opportunity and Golden Sun. And you get to Golden Sun and, and he, he puts down the, the razor, doesn't kill Lauren's grandchildren. They hug, they sob. And you're like, Yes, like we're getting we're getting some sort of redemption. We're getting to see that turning point of a character that has flaws and warts, but getting to come around. And a lot of people don't like Tactus for a lot of these reasons. Um, he's an evil character. <laughs> we love Tactus. We're Team Tactus on this podcast. But furthermore, I will say this because I'm gonna I'm gonna go out of my way to say this actually, um, <laughs> and then it. I'll come back to my Cassius point. Um, you can watch this video on YouTube. Uh, Pierce Brown states in a book signing event when he's asked, would Tactus have come back into the fold of Daryl and really stuck there and like not like have been kind of that flimsy character that mm -hmm. has these evil tendencies? Pierce says, absolutely, yes. This is on the Dark Age tour in a bookstore in Washington, D.C. in, in a Q&A section. And it was a huge turning point for the character. It just didn't get to live out, just didn't have the reality. So I guess it's a redemption arc that happens for about a page, yeah. but not really the fullness of that. Yeah. I mean, the obvious heartbreaker there is the redemption arcs we didn't get, right? Like yeah. you said, Tactus, the one I'm reminded of is another character that I innately like, and that's Roke. Mm -hmm. And it really, it kind of turns out that Roke is like this polar opposite, you know, they're both extremely gold characters. Well, you're talking about both Cassius and Roke? Both Cassius mm -hmm. and Roke. Yeah, exactly. And they both hold honor really closely to them uh, for, as values, but they come to different ends. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Roke ends up dead yeah. to defend honor, or at least in, in his words. The core version of honor, that, yeah, yeah. that core mentality. And then, you know, Cassius basically gives up his life to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And the tragedy of Roke, it's, it's odd actually, because in retrospect, there's this part of that, that tragedy that draw that drew me a little closer, I think, before I was able to kind of look back on it in these terms, like what we're talking about now. 
But I think now that I look, I can understand and really appreciate that inner turmoil that Cassius was suffering mm-hmm. because of the conclusion he came to. Yeah, exactly. And, and where I probably actually used to put Roke above Cassius, I, I can't do that anymore, even though I still view that as a, as a horribly sad and tragic moment yes. that I, and I still do like Roke. Yeah. I mean, um, I have like, I have like this kind of up and down relationship with the Roke character. Um, but I'll say this much, uh, I really liked Roke a lot mm-hmm. as a character, really loved reading him on the page, especially in the Institute, even though he wasn't there a whole lot, he's still just such a great character in those, in the, in that first book, in the second book too. Um, one thing I remember, I actually remember being actually, uh, at a work meeting, and thinking, I just finished reading that chapter where Roke actually, uh, he committed suicide. Um, you know, I remember like, I, I read it the night before I was in an early morning work meeting and I was just like, dang it. I was still thinking about it. I couldn't yeah. get over it. I was just like, why do you have to do that? Like, why not? And the, the, the line I believe off the top of my head was Daryl was saying like, the world's need Roke Alphabii. Like, come back. Like, same as Tactus. Come back. Like, we want you here. Like, you're you're like, we need you. Your brain, your mind, your like your intelligence, your all the things that you can offer, not just like to the rising, but to the world are so unique and valuable and good. Like, I want you to be my friend. Um, and Roke denies that. You know, he he, he and unlike Tactus, where Tactus's fate was chosen for him, Roke chooses his own fate. The interesting thing about this and the real juxtaposition here is that when Roke is surrounded, Roke is cornered, like Holiday, Sefi, Victra, and Daryl are on the bridge of what became the Morning Star, which was once the Colossus, that ship. Um, he's ordered stand down and Roke's response is say, to say, and destroy what's left of my honor. Mm. See, he's like, again, it's this misuse of this word honor where it's like, you know, no, like, or at least misuse to the dream of EO, I should say, yeah. to be more correct. Um, like, it, it so juxtaposes Cassius's honor versus Roke's honor, but it, it's also just the mentality and and who Cassius becomes and that that turmoil that you spoke of and how, how, but, and then it shines a light on Cassius by the end of the book and like realizing that we did get that redemption arc. It did pay off. It was tremendous. It was sick. And I'm so glad we got it. Because if, if you didn't have Cassius turning the corner, especially in the manner that he did, I would have felt a little cheated. Not, yeah. not going to lie. By, by the series, by rather the first trilogy, by not getting someone coming back. We lost a lot of characters going to the other side, but we didn't get someone to return like in fullness and to aid in such a wonderful, perfect way. I didn't think the payback was going to be Cassius, though, if, I, if I'm Whoa, honest. Okay. I, you know, I got robbed of Tactus. We all did. Yeah. Um, cause that would have happened. It was, it would have been awesome. And I think that sort of wet my appetite for the redemption arc. And you're right. Like it left me really yearning for that kind of closure on the, on the first trilogy. And I honestly thought I was going to get it in Roke, mm-hmm. you know? And me then too. when, when the yeah. suicide happens and you realize again, with this alignment of, of honor, not matching Eo's dream at all, um, you realize that's not it. And then, mm-hmm. and then you, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to get anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I, I honestly Kinda didn't think it, it was going to come from Cassius because again, I didn't interpret those struggles. I, I, I looked at Cassius as a flip-flopper, yeah, um, not as someone who was internally struggling. And when he did come around, and especially when he says that to Octavia, right, to kind of go back to that point, it's like, 
I'm a huge fan of what he did. I'm a huge fan of that redemption arc. It's a huge payoff in the story. And I'm kind of left thinking like, you know, he talked about the Olympic Knights and it's like, you know, Cassius was one and, and gave that up. But like, why? Like to me, it's like Cassius is the only true Olympic Knight because he's the only one that was honoring the true compact as it, as it stated mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I think Cassius is a character that was just poisoned by the world around him. Like that's like the, like the lasting impact I see uh, from him is like, um, when I look at the first trilogy, you know, there's a line, I believe Carnus, I believe it's Carnus saying it to Darrow at the gala. I think he says something to the effect of, you would have been awesome in our house, but your enemy, but you would have been like, you wouldn't, oh, I think you would have been great in our house. Like meaning the Bologna, Carnus mm-hmm. was saying this to Darrow. And he then explains, Carnus explains to Darrow, like our father made us make and sleep with our razors like every night. Like that's not being what you like. That's not the dream of EO. Like that's breeding soldiers. Mm-hmm. Like, and does Cassius ever want that? Or was like, that was the world around him that was like, like just hoisted upon him and he was just like okay like this is who i am and this is what honor is and this is like and but this is a character that intrinsically understands what honor is like this is like who the character is this is why pierce put them in this in the story this is why at the end of the book at the end of morning star it says and the honor of cassius because the character was destined for this the entire time and you see that that turmoil that tension with what competing ideas of honor. And that's why I think that you have this whole backdrop, this whole illustration for rim honor and for core honor and rising honor. This is all created. So basically Cassius could come and punch a hole through all of it and be like, boom, this is it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw it down and, and you can now all see it on full display. I mean, what a freaking awesome character. Like as far as like, I'm, I'm not like, it's like how, like how he was written, how he was like explored and defined a character that spent more like uh, at least almost two thirds, if not more of the whole first trilogy as an, as a villain. Yeah. And then becomes a hero, like a freaking hero, a true hero at the end. Like for anyone that I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of halfway pleading for anyone <laughs> that is sour on Cassius you're wrong. You're so wrong. And then also he's a hero. He saves the day. And like, like literally, cause this, this whole plan they have that comes into the dragon's maw and he turns and he like reveals his true self, reveals what honor is to the story and how it affects this world. And it's for all people, not just you, Octavia. He's a hero. Mm-hmm. Like this character is the best, like, at, at, like in some ways. And I, I, like I said, the best at displaying honor, but also just the, it's the same, like kind of more than Daryl in some respects, the savior of like the rising and like the, uh, the idea that we can have a world where people can be what they like. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, I like how you're kind of politicking on behalf of Cassius. So <laughs> I totally am. I, I could I, go on. I'm, I'm like honestly, waxing poetic for the character. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping a few people come over to team Cassius with yeah, us now. For sure. <laughs> We're going to get out of here. Um, I want to leave with one last quote. This is actually spoken by Cassius in chapter six of Morningstar. He says, honor is what echoes. Until next time, hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, everybody. Hail Reaper is produced by Philip, known as Oracle, Jeremy, known as Checkmate, and Matha, known as Broadcast. It's beamed to you across the airwaves all the way from Deep Grave Studios. Our intro theme was composed by Matha, The track you're hearing now is Grey by Sahab. 
Our broadcast visuals were created by the amazing Leslie Ray. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. Dream of EO never would have happened without the support of some gory damn fine howlers. They're all part of our incredible Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with the rest of the pack over on Discord. Visit patreon.com slash hellreaper to learn more. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. The Dream of EO is a seven-part limited series, but if that's not enough, we host a companion show called Beyond the Veil, which will air live on our YouTube channel every other Monday during its initial run. It's a peek behind the curtain at what goes into making the show and what it takes to build a community online. You can send your burning questions about the series to hellreaperpod at gmail.com with the subject line Beyond the Veil. This is Broadcast, signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn reaper.